everybody. How's everybody doing? Yeah. Pretty good. Pretty good. I'm impressed. Y'all are a little more awake uh, in the 11 o'clock service than the 915 was, which is understandable, I guess, because it is a little bit later. So listen, if today is your first time or your first time in a while, I just want to tell you on behalf of the staff and all of our family, church family, we're so pumped up that you decided to worship with us this morning. It is an honor to have you. So thank you for being here and being our guest. Uh, today, we are doing the sixth part of our four-point stance series, which is us building culture. But basically, this is what it's about. We believe this is what God desires for us to be, and so we want everybody to know about it. So if you look along the back wall when you leave, uh, not the pipe and drape, but along the back wall in the back where all the lights are, uh, as you leave, you'll see a bunch of signs like this, and today is just one of the parts. And it's one of my favorite ones, and I like all of them. Uh, we came up with them with a bunch of prayer and, and figuring stuff out. But this one in particular is something that if you've been here for a while, you'll remember back in February during our Desperate House Lives, uh, we did something very similar to this when it dealt with husbands and wives. This is We believe that it's bigger than just relationships with spouses, though. We believe this is a game changer. And so this is what I want you to know before I turn this picture over. If you're a person here this morning and you're like, I don't really know about the Jesus thing. I haven't figured out if, if I'm all about this religion stuff yet or not, and it kind of weirds me out. This is what's cool about this concept and what the Bible teaches and what we're going to look at today is it is a great thing for you no matter if you believe the Bible or not. This can change the culture of your home, whether you believe the Bible or not, and it is really good. And then when you do, it becomes a commandment. It becomes what we're supposed to do, what we're called to do through love. This is what we're called to do. And it's something that will be real familiar. I'm going to try not to blind y'all. It's something that's going to be really familiar to you guys if you're four-pointers. Let me back it up just a little bit. And close. We will live by what can I do to help? What can I do to help? And y'all... A bunch of you are going to remember that. What can I do to help? But this is what we put as the definition. We will use our gifts, talents, and resources to serve. We'll serve others. We'll serve things. But we're going to look at everything and say, what can I do to help? And ultimately what this means, ultimately what this means is I'm going to take all that I am and look at other people, their problems, their situations, their circumstances, and lift them out of theirs instead of focusing on mine. And so that's what today is all about. We're going to have fun. So I want y'all to buckle up and get ready because we're going to have a, a good time today. And hopefully, listen, this is the goal. Hopefully by the end of the next few minutes, you'll leave here different. You won't leave here thinking, man, that would be awesome to do. But you'll leave here and we'll actually do it. Will you pray with me? God, this morning, uh, the goal is not to um, have a message or even a good message, but to hear your message and for, for it to spark a change in our lives that happens immediately so we can impact the world for you. God, you don't want something from us. You want something for us. You already gave us everything. Help us realize this and live lives where our culture changes and people want what we have and don't see what we aren't or what, even what we are. God, help us. Change us. We love you. We're excited. In Jesus' name. Amen. How many of y'all, I need this honesty, honesty time. I need everyone's participation. How many of y'all are seriously tired? Like you're just, life kids, uh, jobs, whatever, you're, you're just seriously tired. So it's almost everybody. We have a couple people that are Pentecostal right now because they're really tired. We got a Holy Ghost, hallelujah. So that's awesome. Um, I understand. Here's what's crazy. Here's what's crazy. We, 
Uh, if, if you have social media, you saw a couple people got mad at me because I put too many pictures on last week. <laughs> You're welcome. But, like, we, we uh, just got back from Punta Cana, Dominican Republic. My dad took the whole family, my sisters and husbands, and uh, I have a wife. But, what, like, we took, we took everybody down, my kids, which is what I'm fixing to talk about. But, like, we took everybody down, and it was awesome. Like, it was, it was, it was really a good trip. And this place, the Hard Rock Hotel there, it was so nice. Food was outstanding. The beach was beautiful. There's 17 pools. I mean, it was as nice as you can imagine. And yet, I find myself needing rest <laughs> today after a vacation because I'm like, we're, we're tired. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, you get tired after vacation. Here's why. We didn't want to miss anything, so we didn't, we didn't rest a lot. Like, we were trying to hop and do all these things and go to every place and not miss anything. And then, couple that with, so we really ran the whole time. Like, we spent the last few hours of every day and then slept. And then Haston was in our room with us with Laney, so we were all in one room, and that's enough to make you tired. But, but like, then there was traveling there and back. And how many of y'all have a young, like, toddler-age child? How many of y'all? So there's, like, there's a handful, but then, and then some of y'all did. So I want you to picture your craziest kid, and then multiply that one times 10, and then you get Haston, and then put him on a plane, and then strap him in where he can't move. <laughs> I'm just telling y'all right now, like, we kind of knew it was going to be bad. And I considered chloroform or some kind of tranquilizer, like a horse tranquilizer, I thought might be good if we just give him, like, a third of a horse tranquilizer. Because maybe it would just knock him out for, like, five hours, and that would be awesome. But, like, we considered a lot of stuff. And some of y'all are laughing, and I'm not joking. We really, like, if it would have worked, I would have done it because it would have been awesome. But so on the way down, it was, it was okay. Like, I think we just... But I, I would hold him down like this and like this and, sh- sh- and try to. And so on the way down, we drove to Atlanta. I was like, please, whatever you got to do, let's, I'll swerve. I'll, I'll even hit the guardrail. Whatever we got to do, don't let him go to sleep. Like, let's just whatever it takes. Maybe he'll sleep on the plane. He's, he's knocking it out on the way, just best he could be in the car. And I'm like, no, this is the worst. And, and of course, he, he didn't sleep on the way down. And then on the way, like, it was really hot in the airport yesterday because it's open air. And I was just like, whatever it takes. Wake him up, blow on his face, pour water on him, dunk him in water until he wakes back up and pour him back out, and it didn't work. And he slept in the airport, and we got him on, and he's wide awake. He's so excited. He loves it. Ooh, what's that, Daddy? That's amazing. <laughs> and then, like, so we get in the air, and it's like, Delia, just do whatever. And he's kicking the seat in front of us, and you can't calm him down. And I'm just ready to cry and laugh all at the same time. And, like, the stewardess came by and she's got drinks and you know y'all know that judgmental look that you just kind of want to get mad it's just like is everything okay is there something I can do for y'all and I'm like yes and so I was like do you have a pet taxi that we can put him under the the plane because that would be awesome or whatever we can do and so like we're freaking out because we really feel bad because he really did bad but he really did do okay it was just you know whatever and so we're like just trying to calm everything down and we get home and this is seriously what we said I just wish he was a little older so he could tell us what to do. And we, f- we find ourselves constantly wishing our life away, constantly wishing he was five. And then when he's five, constantly wishing he was 10. And then when he's 10, where he's old enough where he can babysit himself. And Laney's six, and we wish he was old enough she could babysit. And we're constantly wishing our life away. And then we go on vacation, and we do, 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 and we don't rest.
rest. And then we find ourselves, we get back, and she's got to go to Woodruff tomorrow to work because they have a work day tomorrow. And I'm going to come back here and catch up from being gone for two weeks from the beach retreat and then vacation. And we're constantly doing, we're juggling, we're juggling, we're juggling. And then we look and we say, well, I'm tired and I don't want to do this. And my circumstances are weighing me down, even vacation. And I'm not asking anybody to feel sorry for me because it was amazing. This is the point. I don't feel like doing anything, Right? Like, I'm going to do just enough to get by. Do y'all ever feel that way? Like, don't we have that attitude a lot of times? I'm just going to do just enough to get by. That, that's just kind of how we feel in life is I'll do stuff for God. If you're a Christian in here, maybe you feel that way. I'll do stuff for God, but what can I do to help is only when I feel like helping. Because my circumstances really do weigh me down. And when my son is climbing on the person's seat in front of them and grabbing their hair, I don't feel like helping. I just want to choke. <laughs> and I'm like, just, oh my gosh, why are you such a bad kid? And then I realize it's my fault. But anyway, like, but, I, but we look at all these things. And then honestly, like on the way this morning, I felt convicted. And I'm not, I didn't feel guilty. I felt true conviction. In a book I read last week, I felt true conviction. I'm like, I'm so consumed with all of my stuff, feeling sorry for myself. And it's not even really that. I don't feel sorry for myself at all. I just am tired. I want to do what I got to do to get by God. Let's make a deal here. This is my conversations with God. What do I need to do to get by and, and we can be cool? Because I want me and you to be on the same page. And for weeks, this is what I've been repeating. Uh, what I do doesn't make God love me more. And what I don't do doesn't make God love me less. And yet I tend to go back and say, I just want to do enough to make God happy. And what I can do, what can I do to help? That, that's not part of my culture. That's not part of who I want to be. It's just what can I do to get God off my back? Here, here's where the game changes in your marriage and in your life and in everything that you do is when you realize this, that's not the point of this. The point of this has not got anything to do with where God loves me or doesn't love me. The point is this. This is what, this is what James, the, the half-brother of Jesus, when he was writing the book of James, this is what he said, and I think it's so interesting. James 4, verse 14 says that this life is like a vapor, a mist. The message version of the Bible says, this life that we live is like a morning fog. It's here for just a momentary time, and then it's gone. And so when I'm constantly trying to pass my life away or wish my life away, or I'm just so tired, or, or some of y'all, let's be honest, some of y'all have really, really, really tough circumstances right now, don't you? Really tough. I mean, like tough situations with your kids or a spouse or with former relationships or with a job. Your relationships are really hard, and all you wish you could do is just wish it away. You wish that past relationship had never happened. You wish all these things, and it's so it's tough. It's like a tension, and it's pulling against me. While I look at this and I realize that this is right, I don't have time, energy, or want to to do what I can do to help other people. My neighbors, my friends, I, I don't have time for that. And so this is, what, this is where it gets me, and this is where conviction sets in, is when I look at people like Peter and Paul, who are people that we study in the Bible, and I realize what their circumstances were, and yet their entire lives were built around this. What can I do to help? What can I do to help? What can I do to help? It's convicting. Because I look at my simple circumstances, and many of you have more difficult circumstances, but I look at my stuff and, and the juggling act that is my family that we all look at and we get consumed with us. And I say, there's no way I have time or energy or stuff to, to help. I, I, don't, I, I can't do this. It's, I'm just me. And, and I do that right on Sunday morning. I stand up and I run my mouth for 30 minutes, and, and so I do that. I, I, I help. And I just feel like if God could talk audibly to me and stand before me and look like a man, he would say, dude, I'm not asking you to talk. Yes, that's your job, and I believe it's your calling, but, but how are you taking all that is you and helping other people 
out of their circumstances and their hurts and their needs and their wants, desires, where they're hurting. I'm like, who's doing that for me, right? Who, who's helping me? Who's helping me? And what I find it so difficult is where's the balance? Where's the balance? How can I have my needs met when I'm hurting and yet do what God has called me to do as a husband, as a father, as a friend, as a neighbor, as a coworker, as a man, always having this as my lifestyle? Because listen, if I walk out today and I say, you know what, tomorrow I'm going to do something good, then I can do something for a while. But if I say this is going to be the culture of who I am, this is going to be my home and my life, it changes everything. It really is the game changer. How does this happen? If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. If you don't, it's going to be right here. I'm going to read off the screen, so feel free to read with me. But I want you to see what Peter has to say in this, in this uh, context. Now, this is so interesting because Peter is telling us here how to live godly lives, how to be godly. And Peter's the guy that right before Jesus was, was going to die for him, and he knew that three times. This was Peter, James, and John were the three dudes that were closest to Jesus. They were his inner circle. And three times right before he was going to die, he said, I do not know who that is. I do not know who that is. I do not know who that is. And denied him bold face, bold face denied him three times before the rooster crowed the morning that Jesus died. So if anybody should have been cast away, if what we do has a basis of how God can use us, then he's cast away forever, right? Because we've never done something like that. The day before Jesus was going to die, uh, we didn't deny him knowing that he had been convicted and sentenced to death. That's pretty hardcore. And he cut a dude's ear off, which I kind of think is cool. But, like, he, he wasn't, Peter was the, the disciple that cussed. He was not the guy that you would put on a pedestal and say, this guy's awesome. And yet, he was restored, and God used him. And in all these difficult circumstances that he had been through, he said, you know what? I just want to follow Jesus. I want my life to count for something. In that vapor that is my life, that is a mist, that is a morning fog, that is here and then gone. If it's 85 years, it's so quick. I want it to mean something. And so in this, in this letter that he wrote, 1 Peter, in this epistle, this is what he said. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. I want you to see this. It says, the end of all things is at hand. The end times is coming. People, wake up. The end is coming. Therefore, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of of your prayers. Now, this is what's interesting. Be self-controlled and sober-minded. The next chapter, one of my favorite verses, I memorized it when I was like in the eighth grade. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, standing firm in the face. First Peter 5. Now, listen, this is, what, this is what's interesting. Several times Peter says this. As a matter of fact, Paul said be sober or be self-controlled or be alert in mind ten different times in his letters. And back-to-back, Peter says this in chapter 4 and chapter 5, and this is what it ultimately means. Y'all know the keep calm shirts with the little crowns? Keep calm, and y'all have all kinds of different things that y'all want to do. Keep calm and march on. Keep calm and do whatever. I thought it'd be cool if we had keep calm, and what can I do to help? But that's just my idea this morning, and we hadn't made t-shirts yet, so maybe I'll make one this afternoon. Keep calm, and what can I do to help? Whatever. Doesn't make sense, but I like it. But like, this is what he's, this is what he's ultimately saying. This is what's hard. Maybe y'all don't struggle with this like I do. And if anybody understood, it was Peter because he was going through really tough times right now. He was going to get executed 
upside down. As bad as Jesus' death was, Peter got crucified upside down. That just doesn't sound good. Maybe I'm crazy, but having nails put through your hands and then all the blood rushing to your head upside down, that sounds real bad. So in those circumstances, in light of that, he's saying, listen, keep calm. Ultimately, this is what it means. Have a cool head in all of your circumstances, no matter how bad life gets, no matter how bad your situation at home gets, how bad the situation at work gets, how bad people talk about you, no matter how bad it gets, keep calm. Calm down. Calm down. If anybody needs that message in verse 7, it's this guy. Because if you know me, you're like, yeah, dude's not calm very often because I'm pretty ready to go. Haston gets his craziness from his daddy. Like, we're, like, we're ready. We're ready. And so I'm, I'm eager to serve the Lord. I'm eager to do this. But this is what he's saying. Listen, before you get going, be calm. Be sober-minded. Be in control. This, this pushes me back to the verse that I write on almost every card that I write that I remind myself every day, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and, and his righteousness. And then on either side of the verse, and in the whole thought, it's stop worrying. Stop worrying about all these other things that you have to worry about. Because see, if you'll seek first the king and the kingdom, all these other things will be added unto you. Be sober-minded, be self-controlled, be under control. Keep calm and follow me. Just, just, just keep calm. Goodness knows I need this. How, how does this happen? Why? Well, i, I got to seek Jesus first. He's got to be the first thing that I seek in the morning, the last thing I seek of the day. And, and the goal, the end goal for me, the only way that my whole life changes by what can I do to help is, is if I keep calm. I remain calm in all circumstances, realizing that God is in control. So well, what if I get cancer? God's in control. I don't know what that means. I don't always know what a lot of stuff means. But this is what I do know. In all circumstances, God is at work. God is at work. I have no idea the answer for a lot of things. But I know this. I'm not God. And his mind's a lot higher than mine. And he's at work. If I will stop trying to figure stuff out, stop trying to be so philosophical, which I'm horrible at, and make sure that I have the answer to fix everything in my life, which I am, again, really bad at. Maybe some of y'all aren't, and that's awesome. But I, I want to fix it. I want it to be right. And so I get all stressed out. And I, oh, I got to fix it. I got to fix it. I got to fix it. And Peter's like, dude, keep calm. Be sober-minded. Ten times Paul, who was imprisoned several times, and the last time was a horrible prison, ten times. Keep calm. Before he was beheaded, he was singing hymns of praise to the Lord. Why? Because he was in the right place with the Lord, and he wasn't letting his circumstances dictate who he was or where he was going. He's like, dude, 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 keep calm. Keep calm. So what happens when we keep calm, when we're sober-minded? Above all things, loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And so, first thing you should do is keep calm. And then, above everything else that you do, this is, this is so good. Remember two weeks ago, if you were here two weeks ago, we're going to love God and love people. You can see it out, out there. And it doesn't matter what you do in your life. If you stand up here and run your mouth for 30 minutes, and, and, and even some people pat you on the back and say, great job, but you don't love people. Listen, it doesn't matter. You're wasting your time. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 that if you talk a lot and people pat you on the back, but you don't do it in love, you're a noisy gong or a, or a, or a loud symbol. You, you are just making a lot of noise, but people know if you care and they know if you love. So, so, so after you keep calm, if you want to say, what can I do to help? How can I live this way? How can my culture change in everything that I do? How does it change the game? It has to be done in love. 
has to be done in love. So if you do something for your wife, and, and I'm not trying to be inappropriate, I'm just saying if you do something for your wife and the only reason you do is to get some, the only reason you do something is to get some, she's going to figure it out, husbands. If you do it because you love her, you're probably going to get some, and that's really good. That's, that's two check marks on that side, and if you're a husband in here, you don't think that's good, then we need to have another talk so we can go to the back room afterwards, and I can tell you why it's good for you and your wife to get crazy, right? But, but like, like it, it all comes down to why. It all comes down to why. Everything comes down to why. And if I don't do what I do in love, people are going to know. People are going to know. Now, look, this one thing that I want you to see, love covers a multitude of sins. People take that out of context a lot, and they say, well, so my job is, is to love people and then cover up their sin. It's not necessarily what it means. Jesus covers up your sin. When you trust him, the Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. That's what 1 John 1, 1.9 says. That means whatever I've done, and, and you just use your imagination, it doesn't matter. Murder, just horrible things, God forgives. His love covers our sin because it paid the price. Now, what my love does is, is not that. What my love does is it helps them out of their sin. What my... What my love is intended to do is say, look, you're in the middle of this horrible thing. What can I do to help? It doesn't mean that I cover it up and say, dude, just keep doing that thing. I'm not worried about those drugs. I'm not worried about that, this and that. It also does mean that I'm not uncovering them and telling the world to be judgmental. Now, that's what ticks me off. That's what the church is known for now, right? Being judgmental, having a, a judgmental heart. In love. If you share the truth with someone and say, this is wrong, bro, you can't, you can't keep doing that. That's a good thing. One-on-one, -on -one, that's a good thing. That's love. Social media, never love. That's not love. I, I, let's pray for so-and-so. No, it's gossip, right? That's bullcrap. That's not what we're trying to do. When we do that, we want people to know that we know what they know. We don't, we don't want to cover a multitude of sins. So, so this is the deal, and this is what's difficult. This is for every single person. Only you know if you're doing what you're doing in love. Only you know if, if what you're doing is keeping calm, keeping Christ at the center, and saying, what I'm about to do, I want to make Christ, make much of him with my life, and the foundation, what I'm going to start with, is love. Is love. Verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hospitality. Like, in the South, is it not true? Most of us are Southern people in here, and like, this week when we were on our trip, my brother-in-law and I would pick out people we thought were from the South just because they smiled better. <laughs> and they said, y'all, and that's kind of a giveaway, right? Because y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about. Anyway, so like we would, we would just be sitting around and they would, you know, they'd get their towels from the towel dude and then they'd be like, thank you, right? Yes, ma'am, hola. And we say, we say, we speak Spanish better than anybody. Hola, como estas? So like, we would pick them out, but it seems like our people, y'all are my people, our people, southern people, we, we have hospitality. That's what we're known for. But it's not the kind of hospitality that we're talking about, that people that say yes ma'am and no ma'am, and that will smile, and that will acknowledge someone. That's awesome. That's good. You should do that because it's kindness. But this is deeper than that. This is difficult. So keeping sober-minded, keeping, keeping calm, having a cool heart through love, you open yourself up. This is, where, this is where this comes in. You open yourself up in love to be hospitable with everything that you are. Like the first century church got this. First century church got this because they would basically, and I don't think this is necessary now, 
because they were just starting the church and it's a little bit different. I think it comes down to a want to and a why though because if you would say, well, I'd never do that because of, then it comes into who's really God. I don't think you should sell everything you've got and give it to this church, for example. Although if you did, just kidding. But seriously, I don't think you should do that because it would be foolish and your family wouldn't have a place to live. But in the first century, in the first century, they basically did that because they wanted to be hospitable to everyone that was in their family, in their church family. Because they knew all the things that were stacked against them. And they wanted people to have a chance. They wanted people to know that they loved them. Through love, they lifted each other out of circumstances that were so difficult. They weren't thinking about, this is what's hard. They weren't thinking about, what's the next thing I can buy? Where's the next place I can go? What's the next thing I can do? And I don't think it's sinning doing those things. But I think if that's all we think about, and God has no part of our lives or even like this much, part of our lives, if the 401k that we're trying to get to is bigger than what we're trying to do for God, then that's that's our God, right? So in hospitality, this is what it means. In, in my neighbors that we know are hurting, with the people that I'm co-workers with and I know are hurting, with the people in our church that you look at and you know are hurting, are you willing to open your, open your home up? That doesn't even necessarily mean they stay in your home, but but love on people enough to where you'll take what you have and help what they aren't. I, I'm not saying you cover up a multitude of sins by helping a person that refuses to get a job and enable them. This is not meaning enabling. This is someone that's truly hurting, that is trying their best and lifting them out of where they are instead of focusing on Mark, Mark, Mark. Now, if this is something that you've got licked, then that is thinking awesome. It is not something that I have licked very well at all. But if I want to change the culture in this community, and in this church, and in my home, I have to start by being calm in all my circumstances and loving, and then looking at my hospitality, not y'all, yes ma'am and no ma'am, but am I truly hospitable to the people that I work, live, and play with on a daily basis, that are in my life, that God has placed in my life, am I truly hospitable to them, or do I look at them and say, whatever, man. I'm not worried about that. Someone else will do it, right? What's the minimum that I need to do to get by? Each one has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as a good steward of God's grace. Listen, this particularly means that God has poured out blessings and favor in your life. And it's different, right? It's different. That's what it means. That particular kind of grace, the varied grace, means that for each one of you, what your giftedness, the favor that he poured in your life, what you're good at, what you're good at, what you're good at, is different than what I'm good at. And this is what he's saying. You ready? Use what you have been given, that God has given you, to then pour into others, being a good steward, meaning you are, you are responsible. You are responsible for using what you are, time, talents, resources, everything, to build up other people by being hospitable and by loving them, by being calm in your circumstances so you can look at others and help others more than you think of yourself. By by lifting each other up out of this, you use what God has made you to do these things. Some of y'all serve our church every week. That's thinking awesome. That is 
And, and we're more grateful than we even say or write cards for. Y'all, y'all really make us what we are. And without you, we wouldn't have a church. But just ask yourself, are you doing that? Are you doing that so that God will be proud of you or that's enough or that's the minimum that you think you have to do? Or are you doing that because that's what you believe God wants you to do and what else can I do? Like this, this is all comes down to the why. Am I doing this through love? Am I doing it because what God's done in me? Or am I doing it because I believe if I do this, then, then maybe I can have my penance taken care of. And that's tough. That's tough because it's going against human nature. Verse 11. So we're using what we have. We're lifting people up out of their stuff. Like that, that's, that's the main theme right here. Using what we have. Verse 10. Whoever speaks, like what I'm doing right now, do it as one who speaks oracles of God. Translation, speak as if God is speaking through you. Don't be, don't be so uptight because of what you're about to have to do. If God has gifted you in this area, and one example is just speaking, but whatever it is for you, what, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that everything may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So this is what it's saying. No matter what you're doing, no matter where you're going, no matter what you've been called to do, no matter what your job is, Everyone that is a follower of Jesus Christ has a calling that is huge. You don't have to stand on a stage or be good at leading worship or doing anything that you watch people do to be greatly used by God. How, how can I know if I'm making a difference? Pastor Mark, what, what is it that I'm making a difference? Is what you're doing, is what you're doing, doing so that in everything I do, I do it so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. What can I do to help? Am I looking at every circumstance and every situation and realizing what God has gifted me in that is different than anybody because my personality and my giftedness is like my fingerprint. I'm, I'm truly unique. Every one of you, no matter how fearful you are of where you've been or what you're not, God made you just like he wanted to. He bought you, listen to me carefully, he bought you with a price and that was his son's life. This is maddening, it's craziness. But, but God looked at you in love and he said, you know, son, I want you to be mine. I, I want you to have a relationship with me and I believe in you. I believe in you enough that I will sacrifice my own son to buy you the ransom that my sin is. My sin causes me death, separation. And he says, no, but I'll pay that penalty. My love covers that sin. I don't even see it anymore if you trust in me as Savior. I'll give you the right to be my son. And then listen, this is what I'm asking you in return. As a result of the love that I've given you, love others. As a result of the way that I serve you and, and I give grace, it means God's favor on my behalf as the way that I give you grace, then pour it on to other people. I think we don't change the world. I think that we Christians, guys, the people that know Jesus, I'm talking to us, I think we don't change the world because why would they want what we have? We, we are not hospitable. We don't do things in love. We don't look at every circumstance and everything and say, whatever I do, if I speak or whatever I do, I, I, I'm, I'm just going to do this to the glory of God. Well, I, what if I fail? Well, you can't. What's the definition that there's no failure if I'm doing what I'm doing to the glory of God? If I'm standing up here today and no one comes next week, but I did today to glorify God, it's not a failure. It means God has something else for me. For you, that's what it means. It means whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God and you cannot fail. At the end of my life, I will answer this question. Did I do what I could do to glorify God with everything that I could do? Looking at people, 
circumstances, situations, and say, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? What can I do to help? Why would I live that way? Because of what he's done to help me. It's all as a result of what he's done for me. It's all because I love because Christ first loved me, and I serve because Christ first served me. And I look at my life, and I consider who I am, and I realize that I am nothing, that I deserve hell, that I truly am rotten. And it's not preacher talk. It's, it's serious reality. I'm not a great person. I'm no better than any one of you or any one of them out there. And I'm serious. I'm not, I'm not saying that so you're like, man, the pastor really understands. No, I, I, really, I really do believe that I'm not better than any one of the Dominican ladies or gentlemen that served me this week. I'm not better than any one of the people on the plane. I'm not better than anyone. I'm simply a child that was born into this world that God looked at and said, you're my son. And in everything that I am at the end of my life, remember that vapor? The only thing that's going to count is what did I do? Because this is what, this is how it ends. In order that everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belongs glory and dominion forever. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I need you to get this. No matter what we do, this is what's crazy. No matter if you get this or not, he gets the glory forever and forever. And so this is what it comes down to. We will decide as we leave here today to do one of two things. We'll decide that, man, that's motivational. That's great. I'm guilty of this so many times, y'all. It's motivational. I should do something about it. I'm going to do it tomorrow. Tomorrow morning, I'll start doing this. And I'm telling you right now, if you're like me, tomorrow's never going to happen. I remember this shirt when I was coaching basketball. You might remember this. It, it was uh, at Stephen Berry's in Sumter. It said, procrastinators unite tomorrow. And I was like, man, that's Christians, isn't it? Procrastinators unite tomorrow. That's what we're going to do, right? We're going to change the world tomorrow. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up, and I'm going to do what I can do to help. But the problem is tomorrow never comes. And at the end of my life, I'm going to look, and I'm going to stand there, and I'm going to evaluate my life like this water bottle, and I'm going to say, you know, I had gifts and talents. It may not have been what I desired them to be, but it was exactly what God desired them to be. And my life, my life didn't count for anything. I built a 401k up. I had $2.5 million in the bank. I did exactly what I wanted to. The guys at my retirement account want, did what I wanted. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. There's seriously nothing wrong with having money or having places or going to things. This is the bottom line, and I need you to know this. Answer this question for everything that you do. And if you'll answer this, then you've got it. Is what I'm about to do lifting up the name of Jesus and bringing glory to him? Because that is why you were created, friends. That's it. No other reason. Not to procreate. That's an added benefit. Not to get married. That's an added benefit. Not to have a job. Not to have money. Added benefits. Not to worship or even to, to witness and tell the people about Jesus. That is awesome. And it is something that we're commanded to do. But you were created to glorify God. And the way that we do that is by looking at people, looking at places, looking at circumstances and saying, what can I do to help? so that I can bring glory to God. What can I do to help? And what, is what I'm about to do going to bring honor and glory through Jesus to our Lord?
guys, tomorrow's not good enough. It's time to stop being passive. What I want for us is for this to become the culture of our church, but for this to become the culture of your home. And the only way for that to happen is, first of all, you have to know Jesus. And all that means is you acknowledge that you're a sinner, meaning you've said, thought, or done something in your life that displeased God. Can I be honest? I've done something today. At least one thing, probably several things, just in my thought life alone that displeased God because it was not holy and pleasing. And I deserve hell because of it. It's what Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus by trusting him as Savior. So the only way to make a difference, first of all, is you have to know Jesus. You have to know him as Savior and Lord. And then, for every person in here that is, you need to answer this question with me. Not guilt, but truth. Is my life reflective of this? Or if I was talking about the true culture of my home and my life, would I say, what do I have to do to get by? What can I do to help? What do I have to do to get by? Will you bow your heads with me? God, in the next couple minutes, as we close with worship, will you just move on hearts and help us be honest with ourselves? Because that's the key. We have to be honest with ourselves and look ourselves in the mirror, not try to deceive ourselves, but be real. Guys, with your head bowed and eyes closed, I just want your honesty right now. Just your honesty right now. Pastor Mark, the truth is, man, the reason I don't live this lifestyle, the reason that I feel like my home is a wreck, I don't want to help others, the truth is, man, I've never given my heart and life to Jesus. And right now, right now, it's as simple as saying, Jesus, I need you to come in my life and save me. I believe that you died on the cross, and I give you my life. That's as simple as it is. I want to give you my life. I want everything to change. I want hope and I want peace. I want joy. Pastor Mark, that's what I want for my life right now. If that's you, all we ask you to do is just slip your hand up as high as you can. Slip it up as high as you can. Keep it up. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor Mark, that's me. I need Jesus to come in my life and save me right here, right now. Just slip it up right where you are. For everybody in the room right now, um, the vast majority of you, I believe, are Christians. Here's the question. Are you willing to say, Pastor Mark, today, today, not tomorrow, not waiting, I'm going to be active. I want my life to change. I want my people, the people around me to change. I'm going to put this in my bathroom, on my dash, in my car, on everything. I want people to see what can I do to help so I can take all that I am, my time, talents, resources, everything that I am to lift other people out of their horrible circumstances and to honor God with my life. And the truth is I don't do that. Today, I choose to say, what can I do to help? If that's you, slip your hand up as high as you can right now. Slip your hand up all over the room. People are raising their hands saying that that's what I want to do. I'm saying right now, that's what I want to do. Thank you. God, you see our hands. More importantly, you know our hearts. And our prayer is that as we leave here today, you will see a difference. Because we truly ask, in order to honor you, Lord Jesus, what can I do to help? Help us be sober-minded and calm through love, be hospitable so that we can bring honor and glory to your name. Because, Lord Jesus, we don't do these things so you love us more because you can't love us more. We do these things as a result of how much you love us. It is an honor to worship you this morning. And God, we know that it's all yours. You don't want something from us. 
You've already given us everything. You just want something for us. So God, help us be sober and calm and clear-headed, knowing that through us, you want to change the world. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Well, y'all stand with me. I got a couple announcements. I'm going to show you a video. We're going to close in worship. So y'all stand up. Uh, first thing is right after service. Love for you ladies to stay uh, right after. Soon as service is over in just a couple minutes, we're going to have um, Digging for Real. Um, is that right? That's awesome. I got it right this time. And uh, it's ladies Bible study. It's going to be in here. It's going to be really good. Uh, the next couple weeks, we're going to do it. And So we got so, uh, lunch for you. And we'll watch your kids. We, we'll feed them as well. Um, so if you want to stay, that would be awesome. Every one of you ladies are invited, no matter what age you are. We would love for you guys to stay. Husbands, just let your wife stay. It'll be good for them. So there you go. Um, the second thing is if you have offering today, if you um, didn't already drop it, we don't pass the offering plate here. If you're new, uh, we do giving boxes. So at every exit, there's a giving box. And then there's a giving center at the back. There's a kiosk. If you have a debit card or whatever, you can give back there or you can give in the box. We'd be honored uh, for you to give to the Lord through our church. And last thing is we have, um, in a couple of weeks, we have uh, Not Ashamed for our kids, first through fifth graders. It is going to be really awesome. It's, um, it's a little bit different than anything you've ever seen before. It is going to be next level, crazy fun for the kids. There's gonna, it's going to be more like a worship service than... Uh, what people are used to if you're used to a VBS it's not going to be like that it's going to be more cranked up and for them at their level but our goal is that they absolutely learn to love church and love Jesus and so um, we're very excited about this and we got a promo video we want you to see and then we're going to close in worship we just want you guys to know we love you and I'm telling you this is what we really believe if this becomes the reality of our church more importantly the reality of your homes our lives will count and we will change this culture. We love you guys. Let's be the church this week.